The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening, ACB community. I am Margie, and I will be facilitating this wonderful program that we're about to bring you um, from BPI, Blind Pride International. And this is a fourth and final in the series on advocacy. And um, we have a very exciting program this evening and a very exciting panel. And the subject matter for this evening is allies, period. Um, and I would like to take this opportunity to introduce the rest of my panelists. And um, Debbie, you're take it away, please. Hello, everybody. My name is Debbie Grubb, and um, I've been an ally of LGBTQ plus since before I ever knew I was one. And I do want to say that I am so thrilled that have this panel with us for this last in our series. And I want to take a brief opportunity to publicly thank BPI for letting me have my dream come true and have this series of lessons in advocacy using as a model the, the um, LGBTQ community. And um, the reason that this came to me, oh, maybe, well, several months ago, I read about the stone wall in episodes. And if you haven't read it, there are podcasts. There's also a brochure about it in the Unity Project. But what is so phenomenal is that people were being considered as mentally ill, sinners, cognitively impaired, needing a psychiatrist, and not able to have one of the most foundational rights. That is the right to love whom they chose. And I saw what has happened in this community, both in general and in our ACB community. And I said to Anthony, you know, as much as has happened, what I see a lot is love and unity and common purpose and goals. And I want to take some of the early history makers and bring this to our community so that we can learn. So tonight, I'm so happy that you're here. And what I want you to take away with is the importance of love, the right to love, and the love that is shown by allies, because the ally community is all about love and acceptance. And thank you again. Thank you, Debbie. Vita. Okay, I'm just going to introduce myself. My name is Vita Zavolin. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. I have been a member of BPI, actually, I'm not sure, maybe four years, but I've been a board member for going, well, I'm in my second year. And um, I am um, not, um, besides BPI, I'm a member of a number of affiliates slash chapters in the California Council of the Blind, including Inclusive Diversity of California and 
Golden State Guide Dog Handlers, my San Francisco chapter, Contra Costa, and so forth. So that's just my introduction. Thank you. Thank you, Vita. Miss Ruth. Thank you, Margie. I go by Miss Ruth, no last name, please. Uh, I live in Central Jersey. There is such a region as Central Jersey. We're fighting for that in legislation. Uh, I belong to the New Jersey Council of the Blind. I've been a member of BPI, I'd say about a year and a half, and I'm very glad we're having this conversation tonight. Thank you, Miss Ruth. Annie. Hey, everyone. My name's Annie Chapetta. I'm from New Rochelle, New York. Um, I am new to BPI, but I am not new to being a supporter of LGBTQ+. Um, I am a member of the American Council of the Blind of New York. I'm a board member on Friends in Art. Uh, I also am a member of Guide Dog Users of the Empire State. And thank you for inviting me here tonight. Thank you, Annie. Leah. Good evening, everybody. Um, my name is Leah Gardner, and I am BPI's current president. I don't want to talk very long. This is a program all about allies, and this is a time to hear uh, allies speak this evening. Um, thank you so much for facilitating this, Margie. Um, I think that First of all, BPI could not be the organization that it is today, 23 years in, without our allies who supported uh, BPI back at the beginning uh, when we were trying to uh, achieve affiliate status. And it took many allies to help us uh, get our affiliate charter. And uh, th there's no way that we would be as strong and as vibrant an organization as we are today with, without all of you supporters. So I think that this uh, final chapter in this series on lessons in advocacy uh, based on the LGBTQ plus community, um, I, I, think, I think it is absolutely um, right and just that it, it be focused on our allies. So thank you so much, um, all of you, for showing up tonight. And I'm looking forward to uh, hearing the panel discussion. Thank you, Leah. And I am Margie Donovan. I live in the Sacramento area, formerly from the San Francisco Bay area. And I remember when we were voting and all the discussion on the floor to include um, flag at the time, which is now BPI, as a part of ACB. And you know, it took me many, many, many years to realize that that was being an ally. I remember the emotions. I remember so much about that period of time on the floor in ACB. And I've been a member of BPI for two years. I never realized I could be a member as a heterosexual woman. And um, I was talking with Anthony Corona one day and he said, you know, you should join this. I said, I can't. And he says, yeah, you would be an ally. And I consider myself an ally in many arenas in my life. 
And this is one that I stand up very, very proud for the LGBTQ plus community. And I am a member, um, I serve on the board of Guide Dog Users Incorporated. I'm a member of the um, ACB Capital Chapter um, in Sacramento. And I'm a member of the Golden State Guide Dog Handlers. And my second big passion in life is audio description. And I serve on a couple of the ADP committees. Enough about me. I would like to bring Debbie back up to introduce our first formal piece of the program, please, Debbie. Well, hello again. I want to introduce to you two people who really put the role of allies in a formal way. You're going to be introduced to, in a very few minutes, Jean and Morty Manford. And Jean is the mother and Morty is the son. And I'm going to I'm going to ask you all to please listen very carefully. This was recorded back in 1989 on a cassette tape. And there are a couple of recording glitches. Eric Marcus is the first voice you will hear. He's going to explain a couple of things about mother Jean and son Morty that were not allowed able to be included in the conversation. But I want you to hear the love. I want you to hear these very real human beings. And then we will um, have a couple of things to say about it. But listen with your hearts, because I'm telling you, this is all about love, sacrificial love, and it is absolutely beautiful, and it is worth your time. Bryn, if you're ready, we're ready to play it. Jean and Morty's story starts with a letter. I wish you could hear this story from the beginning, but I screwed up the audio. I thought I'd be interviewing Jean Manford by herself, but when I got to her house, it turned out that Morty was there too, so I interviewed them together. But I hadn't done a double interview before. They were already partway through telling me about how Jean came to write a letter to a New York City newspaper about her gay son when I realized there was a problem with the sound. And that's where we'll pick up the story. So, the context. 1972, Morty was 21. He'd gone to a protest against the New York Daily News, which had published a very offensive editorial calling gay people fairies, nances, swishes, fags, and lezies. There are some words there that I hadn't heard before used against gay people. At the protest, Morty got the kicked out of him by the president of the New York City Firemen's Union, who was never charged. Several protesters wound up in the hospital, including Morty. You can read all about the protest in our show notes on makinggayhistory.com. So it's 17 years later, and I'm sitting with Jean and Morty at the dining room table of the Manford family home in Flushing, Queens. Jean is a widow, and Morty has moved home to live with his mom. He's an assistant New York State Attorney General. Jean is very soft-spoken. Her face is framed by a halo of silver hair. Morty is not soft-spoken. He's handsome, and his thick curly hair is chestnut brown. I have no idea where I put the microphone, but I definitely pressed record. Interview with Gene Manford and Morty Manford on Saturday, May 13, 1989. Interviewer is Eric Marcus. Location is the Manford home in Queens, New York. Tape one, side one. I had a call from the hospital, and, and then I sat down and wrote a letter to the New York Post. Did you have any hesitation about writing this no, letter? No, I didn't. I mean, I was furious. Mm -hmm. Why were uh, you furious? What, what, 
what right did they got to assault my son and others? And uh, why didn't the police protect them? I guess it was the first time a mother ever sat down and said, yes, I have a homosexual child. Were you hesitant at all about saying no. that? No, I didn't even think about it. And I was amazed that Morty told me that they received such wide notice from that he had had so many calls at the time from people and you know about it. What did you think of your mom? I thought she was terrific. It seemed to me on one level to be very natural kind of reaction and concern and involvement for a parent. What I thought was extraordinary was that other people weren't doing the same at that time. What made your mother different? She's a unique person. I've always felt that Morty is a very special person and uh, I wasn't going to let anybody walk over him. Well, I mean, a lot of parents who knew their gay children were gay, uh, felt their families were very important to them. question is, what about our family? I, I would have to say that we were always very open thinkers. This was an area that they really didn't understand. There was a lot of ignorance, but they were willing to consider what are the prejudices that we're taught, and are they in fact uh, founded in any reality, or are they pure prejudice. We'd all learned a great lesson from the black civil rights movement of the early uh, 60s and the women's movement. And I think my parents agreed that uh, the principles of civil rights for blacks and for women were just demands. And this was simply bringing into the discussion a new civil rights perspective. How do we get then from this first letter to what has now become a national, international federation? Of Do you have any idea well, at then, that time that this could come to pass, that you would wind up being in such a public position? You seem not like a at very that time, person. not at that time, but yes, I, I'm very shy, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, I would not the type to, I've never belonged to organizations and never tried to be to do anything, so it just happened, you know. Now, I was asked to be on a television show in Boston, and... Well, the three of us yeah. went. We went out to Cincinnati. Uh, at one point, my parents appeared on a, a TV show in New Detroit. Orleans. Well, I would think five times in Boston, Cleveland, two or three times, Detroit. Every talk show in uh, New York City. Because we were the only people who were willing to go public. We felt that it was a way of educating the public, of, you know, making people understand. And besides that, when I did march with Morty, was it 72? Did you ask him last March? Yeah. You came to me and you said, uh, you know, he said, March, will you march with us? I said to him, I will march if you let me carry the sign. Parents of gays unite in support for our children. How did people react to you then against you? They screamed, they yelled, they ran over and kissed me. Well, will you talk to my mother? Uh, wow, my mother saw me here, you know, and... They, they just couldn't believe that uh, a parent would do that. It was unbelievable. I had been in the previous year's march also, and the outpouring of emotion from our own community was overwhelming. Nobody got the loud uh, emotional cheers that she did. They were fearful of telling parents. Most of them wouldn't tell, and many had been rejected because the parents knew. 
I guess they just didn't feel that any parent could be supportive of a gay child. The symbolic presence that my mother provided was a sign of great hope that parents can be supportive, that the people we're closest to, whom we love the most, need not be our enemies can be our supporters. As Morty and I walked along during that first march, so many people said, talk to my parents, and there were phone calls all day long. That phone was ringing. So that's when we decided, though, during the march, to start something, some you kind of an organization. Yes. And what kind of organization did you have in mind? An organization for parents. To talk to each other, to know that you're not the only one, and that each, because each person thinks, oh, it, I'm the only one who has a child who is homosexual and nobody was willing to let anyone else know about it, to get together and talk to people and say, look, there's nothing wrong with them. And an organization which would be supportive of the struggle for gay liberation. The parents group was a bridge between the gay community and the straight community. How so? How, heterosexual how, community. How, how did you see it doing that? Well, I think the very first, when we did finally have the meeting, I think I may have voiced someday, you know, uh, we will fight for the rights and uh, of our children. We will be become political. We will make a, have a national organization. I remember thinking that at the very beginning. Uh, but the, the immediate thing was to talk to parents and help them come to terms with the fact that they have a gay child and there was nothing to be ashamed of, nothing wrong with it. He or she was no different than anybody else. Did you get calls regularly at home from people? There were so many and so many letters. They were upset. They had this child was homosexual, and I, you know, told them to come to the meeting and talk. At the meetings, they would tell me how much I had helped them on the phone. It was not so much what my mother said, but that she said it. I remember her many times saying, there's nothing wrong with your son being gay or your daughter being lesbian. You know, we've been taught by society that there's something wrong and society has been wrong. This is a civil rights issue. People had never heard this before. And to hear it from another parent appear, they expected to spend the phone conversation in tears with someone at the other end saying, now, now, dearie. But that's not what they got. It, and I think the effect was to make them stop a minute. You don't, don't believe just everything you're told by society, and that society could be wrong. Police were still uh, raiding bars where gays were. Gays had no job protection in any city in this country whatsoever. It was still the stigma of being gay. I used to be fond of saying that the churches said we were sinners and the psychiatrists said we were sick, capitalists uh, said we were subversive, communists said we were immoral. And many gays also accepted those prejudices, if only tacitly. There was no one to say otherwise. There was no pro-gay propaganda. The support wasn't out there. I think the emergence of the parents' group at this time provided a much-needed pro-gay propaganda. Uh, we had to reach our own and then reach the world. The general public will listen to parents in a different way than they will listen to advocates. What has your mother, mother been able to do that you weren't able to do? 
to speak to the, a lot of bigots and get through on a level that mere political or social discussion wouldn't accomplish. A lot of people will look at parents and they can identify with parents. They look at me and they say, there's a gay person, I'm not like him, and uh, therefore they're not listening to what I'm saying, but they would say, I have a mother and father too. Let us understand what they're saying. On that level, I think they've been able to reach a lot of people uh, we wouldn't have been able to reach alone. So you've changed lives all over this country, really, through your work. I think at one time you told me my, my picture was over a bar in Brazil, someone told you. <laughs> a gay bar. Yeah. And again, somebody came back from Brazil and said they were in a bar and they saw my mother's picture on the wall, a big uh, mural uh, with her marching. Uh -huh. And someone told, said there was an article in, was it the London Economist? So, I mean, it was in something French too, I think, you know, about the group. So, uh, we were in Kinsey. And I know my niece was taking a course in college and she turned and she said, oh, that's my uncle and aunt. <laughs> uh, so, we never knew when, <laughs> what made us famous or infamous. So, in your own way, you were a quiet revolutionary to these people. Well, I made the revolutionary calendar. But what is the revolutionary calendar? There was a calendar that somebody published, which I picked up over on St. Mark's Place, and it had uh, for each month a picture of some occasion. When Mao Zedong's birthday was, there was a picture of Mao. There was, I think, a picture of Dr. Martin Luther King uh, during um, his birthday in the month. And for June, guess who the well, calendar girl before was? You, before you turned to June, you said this is not a this is not a true revolutionary calendar unless it talks about the gay march about the gay about gays. And when you turned the page, there you saw my picture. <laughs> Were you surprised? Sure I was. Uh, I considered myself such a traditional person that I didn't even cross the street against the light. <laughs> <laughs> for a shy person, Jean was fierce. And I knew it was her love for Morty that drove her. But it always felt like there was something more behind it. Then just recently I heard that Morty had an older brother, Charles. I called Morty's sister Suzanne and asked about him. She said it was something the family never talked about. Charles killed himself in 1966. He was 22. There was my answer. Jean wasn't going to lose another child. So Jean was determined to make the world a safer place for her son and the rest of us too. But she couldn't save Morty from a virus. He died from complications of AIDS on May 14, 1992. He was only 41. A month after Morty died, my mom and I did an event at the Gay Center in Manhattan for the publication of Making Gay History, my book. We read from Jean and Morty's interview, pretty much what you've just heard. And then I introduced Jean. Oh my goodness, 300 people got to their feet and cheered. People wouldn't stop applauding until Jean came up to the microphone to say a few words. She was so tiny that her head hardly poked above the podium. Just one more anecdote about Jean, and I only just learned that my mom figures into this one as well. 
Eleven months after Morty died, Jean got a call from an out gay elementary school teacher in Queens named Danny Drum. In those days, there were virtually no out teachers. Danny asked Jean to be the grand marshal of the first Queens gay and lesbian pride parade. Now I'm from Queens, and growing up there, it felt like the last place that would have a gay pride parade. Jean said yes, but there was a condition. She wanted Danny to help her start a Queens chapter of P Flag. And where is Danny, the elementary school teacher, now? He got himself elected to the New York City Council, and he chairs the council's committee on education. I met with Danny recently, and he told me that he knew my mom. Turns out that my mom helped Danny and Jean start the Queens P Flag chapter. I had no idea. My mom's been dead for 12 years. I wish I could tell her how proud I was of her. Jean spent the last years of her life with her daughter Suzanne and her husband just outside San Francisco. She died in 2013. She was 92. She outlived her golden boy by three decades. One month after Jean died, President Obama awarded her with the 2012 Presidential Citizens Medal, which recognizes citizens of the United States who have performed exemplary deeds of service for their country or their fellow citizens. Jean's daughter accepted the award at the White House ceremony in her mother's honor. To see a photo of that ceremony and to learn more about Jean, Morty, and P Flag, please visit our website at makinggayhistory.com. That's where you'll also find the iconic 1972 photo of Jean carrying her Parents of Gays sign. Would you like to step forward with your part of the program? Margie, what did you just say? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I was kind of just at all with that. Hi, Margie. I'm here. I um I Thank had you, to uh <laughs> I had to recover there for a second and and find yes. the unmute button. Um. That was incredibly powerful. Um, I'm glad that was shared today. Um, Margie asked me to um, check in with a few other members of uh, the LGBTQ plus community uh, within BPI, in addition to myself, and talk about our experience with allies. And how allies uh, impacted our lives. So, I have uh, with us Anthony Corona, our vice president, and Bryn Lee, um, one of our uh, board members, um, who did a wonderful job, by the way, editing um, that piece uh, that you just heard from uh, Eric Marcus's Making Gay History podcast. Um, I had an anecdote that I was thinking of um, over the past couple weeks. And uh, this was actually when I was quite young. I, I was 13. Uh, it was near the end of seventh grade. And I grew up in New Hampshire, which um, still is a very conservative state. Um, although New Hampshire's come a long way, but I, it, it, it was, an incredibly conservative environment um, in 1989. And it wasn't the kind of situation that a lot of kids have today where there are in many, many school districts, 
Um, not all, mind you. <laughs> there are some states where it would still be hard to find a school district that would have a um, sort of like GLBTQ plus student alliance. But a lot more schools do have that sort of opportunity now. My junior high certainly didn't. I mean, there was nobody talking about um, those kind of those kind of issues in any kind of positive way. You know, you couldn't go to a guidance a guidance counselor and talk about the fact that you, you know, that you were struggling with attraction to people of the the same sex and what that meant. And I am somebody that, you know, on the outside, I've, I've always sort of had that kind of stereotypical <laughs> appearance of somebody who um, might be characterized as a lesbian. And I had um, a good friend of mine at the time. And I remember I was walking outside with her to my bus stop and she was giving me a very hard time about my appearance. Um, you know, that I, I had really short hair. I had put my hands in my pockets. Um, she said, you know, you just, you look very boyish and you really need to get, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta get past that. If you, if you expect that, you know, guys are going to like you and I just don't understand, you know, why you do this. You know, I hadn't really fully comprehended sort of my sexual orientation at the time. And I remember, uh, one of our seventh grade teachers, the science teacher, stopped this girl in her tracks and she said, you know, Leah can be whoever she is. If this is the real Leah and who she is, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, Leah's personality is hers and hers alone. And she doesn't have to act in any other way or be any other way just to please somebody else. And I'll never forget that because that was really this first confirmation that maybe everything that I was sort of struggling with internally wasn't something I needed to fear. It wasn't needed something I needed to uh, worry about that really, honestly, it might be okay, even though I didn't quite understand at the time what it all meant. I think having that kind of affirmation from um, a teacher was really central when I think about it now to sort of my, my positive development um, as I, I really sort of uh, became quite certain that, that I was a lesbian as, as the years uh, went on. And I'll, I'll never forget that. I will never forget what, what Miss Wetterer did that day. It was, uh, when I think about it, like over 30 years later, it was life-changing. So allies are absolutely, I think, essential to so many of us. Um, Bryn, would you like to talk about your experience with, with, with allies in your life? Yeah. Um, so I recently came out as transgender at work. And when I came out, I was, you know, honestly worried that um, I would run into transphobia and uh, just, you know, have a difficult time 
I, you know, work with a lot of different people from lots of different walks of life. And um, I just wasn't sure how that was going to go. But upon getting rehired at my current job, my boss immediately without question was like, you know, you have um, a support system here. And if anybody, um, if any of your customers or any coworkers or anyone <clears throat> gives you any discrimination or abuses you, first of all, you're free to leave the environment that's abusive um, without any reper repercussions. You know, if, if it's a negative environment, you can get out and uh, there'll be nothing, no retribution or anything like that against you for doing so. But also, um, you know, report it even if it's small, because if we can nip uh, discrimination in the butt um, and set a good precedent, you know, set a good example uh, for, for the future, that would be good. And um, so I was just, you know, I was floored with how much support I got from my boss and the director of the agency and my coworkers and, um, honestly, I haven't had any need so far. It, nothing terribly horrible has happened yet. Um, but I know that if, if something were to happen, that I have a good support system at work. And it, it just feels truly good to have allies who have my back. And I know that I don't have to be afraid um, of, of losing my job or upsetting the status quo or anything like that, you know. Um, Everything is, everything is at a point now where I feel comfortable being myself at work, and I know that I'll be protected if I were to face any um, discrimination. Thank you, Bryn. I really appreciate the story. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Anthony uh, to share some of his anecdotes, and then Anthony uh, when you're done, I believe you can turn it back to Margie and we'll start the discussion. I'm going to actually um, drop off this call at that point and listen to you on uh, ACB Media One. But thank you so much for, for um, this program. Uh, so, Anthony, please share some anecdotes with us. Thank you. Um, so I, I wanted to I wanted to first start by saying I, I think that we all have allies in life and to try to, you know, bring it down to one or two sometimes can be really hard. I've, I've been very lucky in life and I think I've had a lot of mentors, a lot of allies. Um, but it, there was a period in time in, in my life and, and I was very lucky coming out and my experiences having, you know, the family uh, that I had. Um, I thought it was going to be a lot rougher than it was, et cetera. But um, there was a point where I was assaulted. Um, and I, up until that point, I had never had really a negative experience and my world just was kind of shocked and rocked. And I was, you know, already in the work world, I was out of school already and, and um, but young in the work world with a lot of responsibility. And, uh, there was somebody at work that, uh, you know, generation older than I, who probably should have had the job that I had, but was not nice to me up until that point, but not mean or anything, but just there was no friendship or anything. And um, afterwards, you know, I was a lot shaken and 
trying to get my job done. And, and I had a lot of anxiety issues during that time period. And um, he was really supportive and really uh, took a lot off my plate and, and talked to me a lot. And, and um, it was it, it, invaluable to have like a pseudo father figure, I guess you could say for that period of time to just kind of take some of the shoulder and to just listen and, and be an ally. And um, I asked him a couple of months into it, you know, like, why, you know, why is this your project? And um, he told me, confided that he and his wife had three children. Only two of them were still alive. They had a child who killed himself at 17 because he couldn't take the pressures um, from the bullying he was getting for being gay. And um, it just, it was a full circle moment for him and, and in a way for me too. And um, so allies can come from anywhere and for so many different reasons, but sometimes they don't even know how much they, they matter and how much they change someone's life. But thank you, Margie, for allowing us to speak. And I am fascinated with where you guys are going to go next. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Brent, and thank you, Anthony. Okay, we're gonna dive into our questions for our panelists of allies. And this first question is for Vida, Debbie, and myself. And we don't have to go in any particular order, so just speak up if you would like to. And um, here's the question. What compelled you to participate in this program and why did you choose to become a member of BPI? I'm gonna take this. Since I am facilitating this program, I saw the idea put out there and I, I sat on it a few days. We, we kind of knew who was gonna be participating and the call for someone to facilitate, I thought maybe I'll give someone else a chance. And no one stepped forward and I couldn't think of a better program to be facilitating right now. It's up against two other things at five o'clock, one committee meeting. And because I am such a strong ally for the LGBTQ community, I wanted to facilitate this and I wanted to be a part of it. And what I will say is as an ally, I can never walk in your shoes, but my shoes can walk right next to your shoes. And there's many areas in life in which we have allies. All of us in ACB, I am sure, have allies who are sighted, and there are allies, but we don't get a lot of grief for being blind. And the LGBTQ community still gets a lot of grief, individuals, the community itself. And I can't think of anything more important to do with my time in my life to stand tall and proud with this community of people who simply choose to express their love in a very different way than those of us that are heterosexual. Their love is just as pure 
love is just as strong. And to me in my life, it doesn't matter who you fall in love with. Fall in love with, with dignity and respect. Thank you. Well, this is your Vida. I'll go. Um, one of the reasons I'm in the program, I already told you, but in one of our podcasts that we did, we were talking about the importance of joining and being a part of things and marching with people. And I said to people at the end, if this is too much for you, make a friend of someone who is different from you. So the reason that I am an ally of this wonderful community, the reason why, along with Margie and many others, I stood up when B-Flag and all the people who wish to start it were being spiritually tarred and feathered, so to speak, is people in my life. As I came to love people, I visualized them. I felt the touch of their hand. I heard their voices when people were discriminated against. I remember when our school, for example, was integrated. And I remember that I did the Mexican hat dance with a little girl my age of color. And I liked her right away. I thought, we can be friends. And from that moment on, and many other people of color that I, that I met, I felt attacked when they were attacked. And I have always had people of the LGBTQ community in my life. It wasn't something I planned. It wasn't something I sought. But two of my sisters and my childhood friends are, well, they, they are gay and lesbian. And I can't tell you how much they loved me and I loved them. They accepted me. We did stuff together. I can still feel their hands. I can still hear their voices. And I hope I can get through telling you this, but my friend Craig, um, he came home to our small town to die of AIDS. And there were people who were afraid to touch him, to hug him. And I screamed at them. I said, this is Craig. His father runs the local hardware store. How can you be afraid to hug and touch someone who is dying just because he loves? And I, I just realized that I had to stand with these people. And my friend Penny is, is still alive and in a long-term relationship with somebody and, you know, they're just part of our lives. And it's always been that way with me. And so I'm in all of this first and foremost because of the people that I have loved and the people that I have been blessed to love me. And that group has only grown. But that's what drew me into all of this civil rights work, standing with my friends who I don't want to see treated in a way that I would never want to be treated. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, not sure what to add to that. So the reason I decided to join in this program is because I'm an ally. That's what ally means. It means 
stand up, be a part of what you believe in. Uh, and and if I if I hadn't been here as an ally, and I was simply listening, I I think I would feel um, alone. I think for me, that would feel alone. Here I feel included. I am a part of a family. And I have to tell you that BPI really is a family. Uh, I can't tell you um, how many times I've gone back and forth with messages of how are you doing? Uh, and, and just, you know, just how was your holiday? Um, or I'm depressed today. You know, it's real. It's honest. It's open. Um, and, and, and that's one of the big reasons I joined BPI. I had friends in BPI and it really felt like family. So I am wearing a t-shirt today that says Ubuntu, U-B-U-N-T-U. It is an African phrase that means I am, therefore we are. I'm a big believer in this. We do not stand alone in the world. I have had advocates as a blind person as a woman, um, you know, as a person who's been overweight. So I have had my share of advocates in the world. And I believe we should all be advocates and be allies to each other. Uh, because the reason I am is because we are. And we should treat people not the way we want to be treated, but the way they want to be treated. So I just uh, thank you, BPI, for inviting me um, to be a family member. Thank you, Vita. The next question is for Annie, Miss Ruth, and Vita again. How do you respond to people who are openly antagonistic to the LGBTQ plus community? Who would like to take that one first? Uh, Miss Ruth, if I may. Please. Thank you, ma'am. You know, if I'm being honest, as Simon Cowell might say, not always that well, and I'm working on it. But what I've come to realize is that my visceral response of clapping back at them, it only exacerbates a bad situation. I'm, I'm learning to rein that in, but I do have some options if something is said in, a, say, a Zoom room session that I'm hosting. Since it's my own Zoom room, I actually can remove that person, and I will. You know, I'll say, here's your hat. What's your hurry? Like we say in New Jersey. But if I'm in someone else's meeting or I see something homophobic on the listserv, I do have the option of asking the host to take action at, or on the listserv, which I've done, emailing the moderator and lodging a complaint. The issue I have is in-person interactions. I'm really working on it. But if someone's openly antagonistic to the LGBTQ plus community, it's a challenge for me. And I guess it depends on the person. If that person seems completely closed 
to a conversation about why they're out of line, I won't waste my breath talking to a wall. But if I think there's a chance they might be willing to hear me out, I will explain why what they said was offensive and hope they will take it to heart. And I will pass it over to Annie. Thanks. I agree with you 100%, Miss Ruth. Um, I've been in situations um, where, you know, where it's, I've been very heated up about um, hearing the bias. Um, and many times it's been with my family. Um, so that's been very interesting over the years. Um, there are times where, like you also, um, you know, I have to decide, you know, based on the situation and, you know, what's being said and what's going on, whether it's really worth it to, um, you know, to, to step in and try to educate or to just leave it alone. Uh, and, you know, some, sometimes I feel <clears throat> when I leave it alone, I feel like I'm, I'm missing out on a chance, but then I also understand maybe it's just not my, it's just not the right time for that person to be open to listening. Um, so, um, you know, in terms of my family, uh, I think I have the um, reputation for, for being quite, um, uh, you know, I don't give up with my family, um, especially one of my nephews who was, um, you know, he couldn't understand where his stepson was coming from. He didn't, he didn't understand uh, his stepson's choices. And I, I actually, you know, would sit him down and just let him um, try to figure it out on his own. And uh, eventually he, you know, he understood. But I, I think that if I wasn't there to be open and to be, um, you know, openly listening and hearing and understanding his distress over trying to get his head around things, meaning my nephew, um, maybe they wouldn't have come to, uh, um, you know, an agree, you know, an agreeable state where they learn to love each other on a different level um, in terms of understanding um, his stepson's choices and, and why, um, why he was misunderstanding them. So um, that's what I have. Families are tough sometimes, but you've just got to, um, you've got, got to keep, keep at them in, in a kind and loving way. And, and hear their, um, their distress about it as well, because they're trying to understand um, and, and make progress in their own way. Thank you, Annie. Mm -hmm. And now back to Vida. <laughs> well, interestingly, Annie, I have a very, very, <laughs> sim very similar situation. I come from a very traditional Italian family. I was born in Italy mm -hmm. and uh, grew up in New York City. Yay, New York. And um, I went to Italy last year to visit because actually most of my family still lives there. And uh, we were all sitting around a table, guests doing what? Eating, of <laughs> course. It was amazing food. And somehow this conversation came up about uh, people who are different, uh, you know, and, and the LBG, LGBTQ plus community, you know, that came around. And I just said at some point, well, I'm on the board of a, a group called BPI, and I'm very proud of that. And there was this dead silence. I mean, just silence of people 
feels like I, I could only imagine in, in my mind's eye, the forks were hanging out in the air, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, um, and then the conversation just went on. It, it just, you know, one brother came to me later and said, I'm so glad you did that. Uh, because his, he said, you know, he just, um, he is also an ally. I actually didn't know that. So that was great, but he was afraid to speak up. Um, so, you know, that, that was a really, it was, I think it was a very powerful moment. Um, and I really believe, um, one, a manager said to me uh, uh, some time ago, she said this one sentence, I will just, I'll never forget. She said, listen, learn, and lead by example. Listen, learn, and lead by example. And this is the message that I try to leave people with who are antagonistic or uncertain about another community. Listen to what the person is really saying to you. Educate yourself, learn, and then go out, lead by example. And that doesn't mean that you have to, you know, uh, be a part of the, the gay pride march, but it means you can wear a pride t-shirt. You can wear a pride button. You can speak up when someone speaks against uh, someone else. Um, so I, so on, you know, as per you know, Margie's question here, how do you respond? This is what I, I try to listen. What is the person really saying? What are they upset about? Uh, are they upset because their brother is gay? Are they upset? You know, what? what is the real issue here? Um, and then I try to talk to people about educating themselves, which I think is extremely important. Now, I haven't been in a situation that I can recall recently where, you know, someone said something right in my face kind of thing. I'm not sure how I would react, but I am a New Yorker. So, you know, there is that. <laughs> so I'm hoping I would be calm and respectful. <laughs> uh, you know, that's my hope. Um, and, and again, I go back to this. Um, I wish, I think I go back to this. When did you need an ally in your life? Um, I think that's a really important question to ask other people uh, because everyone has allies or they needed allies at different points in their life. Thanks. Thank you, Vita. I'm going to open it up. We, we agreed to have assigned questions to the panelists, but I want to open it up all of these questions after our assigned panelists go, because we're doing great in time. And um, any other panelists can jump in there. And <clears throat> I want to jump in here for a moment. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, many years ago, back in the 
early 90s to mid 90s, I was attending a church in Palo Alto, Church of Religious Science. And um, we had a congregation of churches that were allies of the LGBTQ community. And I volunteered to represent my church. And um, <clears throat> that was such an honor. It was truly an honor. And one of the things I find frequently is the, quote, born-again Christian community are often antagonistic. And there's one thing I say, because arguing with someone's beliefs and arguing the Bible, I will not get into. What I say is they're children of God, too. That's all I say. They're children of God. It's that simple. We're all children of God. And how can anybody ever argue about that? I don't think anybody can argue about that. The other thing I say to people who think the LGBTQ community are sinners is, and this is not necessarily my belief, I'm going to put it out there, though, is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We were never given the right to judge. It's that simple. And if we think the LGBTQ community as born-again Christians is wrong, what do you do? You don't, you don't speak about them in a negative way. Pray for them if you think they're wrong. And I say that about anybody. If you think somebody's doing something wrong, don't judge them. We're not put on this earth to judge. Do whatever you want to do. Meditate, pray, chant, whatever you think is right. But do it between you and whatever you determine your higher power is. Thank you. Does anyone else want to comment on this question? Hearing no one else, the next question is for Annie, Miss Ruth, and Debbie. Describe a turning point conversation that made you know you had to join with this community. This is Annie. Um, I don't know if you would call it a turning point, but uh, for me, um, I have been thinking a lot about joining BPI and um, uh, after writing my first novel, I had some scenes in there that went back to my roots in New York. And um, the first person who came out to me was my uncle and I was like 13 years old and he invited me to his apartment in the city and he had been divorced from his wife for a long time. And um, my si my older sister, who was like much older than me, six years older, invited me with, you know, go see him. And he just got a new kitten, this and that, blah, blah, blah. So um, we were there and he had, um, uh, there was another man, you know, uh, in, it, with him. And his name was Tony, too. <laughs> um, and uh, we were, you know, we had pizza and we were watching TV or whatever, just having a good time. And um, my uncle turned to me. He said, do you have any problems with a man loving another man? And I was like, no. <laughs> and it was just, and I really didn't. I mean, I didn't even have to like think about it. I'm like, no. I said, you know, is is Tony with you? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, you're okay with it? I'm like, yeah. And that was it. I mean, 
<laughs> it was just so weird. And I had never, ever been, um, no one ever talked about it with me before. Uh, um, it was just, it was just like we had a conversation and we were good and that was it. So, and that's how, that's how it went. And I had never, it was just part of life. Every people loving people, like Margie said, you just, you know, you love who you love. Um, so, you know, that was that, and I brought that with me ever since. So I, I think joining PPI, BPI is a natural um, extension of that. And I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Annie. Who would like to take? Um, this is Debbie. And I guess I go back again because this is lessons in advocacy that we learn from the LGBTQ plus community, but it spills over into every aspect of our lives. And one of the things that I keep telling people is look at the person. Don't think about a whole group of strangers that you don't know anything about and judge on what you think they might be doing. Think about this person that you know, that you have loved, that you have cared about. They're still that person. They haven't changed to you. Why would you change to them? And I think if we look, if whatever our families or friends' prejudices may be, I can't believe it in this country, but it is true. There are people who are still prejudiced against people of color. And I go, you know, they're a person. They can't help. They cannot help the color of their skin any more than you can help the color of your skin. Why are you letting some outward thing take away from you what you know of this person inside? So I think whatever the prejudice is, whether it's a prejudice against a sexual lifestyle or a race or a culture or whatever it is, if we can boil it down to a person, because it's so much easier to see a person, to know a person, to love a person. My, our, our childhood friend, Penny, my sister and I had been grown up. My sister had a little girl. And she was maybe four or five. And Penny is a, was a phys ed teacher, you know, rough and tumble and so much fun and a heart as big as the state of Texas and Alaska put together. And she asked her, she said, you know, I, I'm going go to go Ocean City, which is a, a beach community, beach town where we lived. And I'd love to take Jenny and our mother who had known this woman since she was a little girl. She spent nights at our house, came to parties, did stuff. And I said, Mom, what are you saying? This is Penny. Stop it. And I just think if we could get people to know a person, and if they don't know a person of color or a person who embraces the LGBTQ plus lifestyle, tell them about a person you know what they do, how they live, the impact they've had on your lives. And I want to finish by going back to saying something that, um, that Morty and Jean and Marcus talked about. As allies, we can say things to people that, other, that people in the community cannot say. 
because we can say we're not of this community, but we embrace them and we love them because they're people and we we are in your community and we can tell you this. It's just like Jean, this shy, loving Jewish mother who became incensed because her wonderful boy was beaten up for no reason, nothing he had done, nothing that he was, a person that he chose to love and how he chose to love. And it caused her to do amazing things. She didn't see at first, of course she did eventually, but what started the whole ally movement was a mother saw her boy. And if we in our lives, however it is we advocate and whatever equality we seek for people around us, even blind people who people sometimes are afraid to associate with us, there's so many things we could talk about. Boil it down to a person. Make it really personal and say things in a nice way, but in a way that you know they need to hear. And I think that is the secrecy, the secret of being a good ally, a good friend, and a good civil rights advocate. Very Miss good. You. Thank you. Yeah. Go, Debbie, preach. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> so good. So my turning point was um, I was in a meeting of a blind seniors group, and someone told and in quotes, uplifting story about how a man has to choose the right wife. And it played into gender norms and the roles each person plays. And it ended with this sentence, getting old ain't for sissies. And, you know, I'd never considered myself an LGBTQ plus advocate up to that point. But for some reason, that just broke my heart a little bit. And it, it actually angered me. I was sitting there boiling in this meeting and I had to calm myself down because I had to present my report too. So I, I just really, it, it just sometimes, you know, anger sets in and it leads to action. It just stayed on my heart. And, you know, if you think about it, that term isn't just offensive toward gay men. Um, it's actually offensive toward those who identify as women as well, because a sissy is a man whom society deems too feminine, which equals weakness which is of course ridiculous. So, you know, I looked for a way to add my voice to the chorus of those who know love is love. And that led me to BPI. And interestingly, the very first meeting I attended was Dare to Share. They threw me in the deep end there, but I felt welcomed <laughs> right away. Thank you, Miss Ruth. Would anyone else like to add to this question? Well, you're a brave woman, Miss Ruth, to show up to Dare to Share as your first. <laughs> I was like, what, what have I got myself into? <laughs> well, <laughs> I know the feeling. That was mine, too. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's very much a part of the BPI community, and it's a wonderful part of the BPI That's right. community. Okay. Um, the next question is for Annie, Miss Ruth, and myself. What specific opportunities have you missed? Sorry, let me start that. Up. What specific opportunities have you missed to speak up for the people living the gay lifestyle? What have you learned? And what have you committed to? And what do you do as a result? 
this is Annie. Um, I think, okay, so um, being involved in ACB and um, supporting my um, other people who are blind and visually impaired, along with myself, um, I've, I've been really, you know, involved in that, like immersed in that for so long. And um, at some point in the last couple of years, <clears throat> I, I felt like I needed to do more. So um, I branched out, you know, a little bit um, in the community and, um, you know, uh, decided to learn a little bit more about the arts and how ACB support that with friends and art. And then I just, I felt like I needed to do more. Um, and then um, Anthony had invited me on a couple of Sunday editions and stuff. And I felt like, oh, this is what I'm missing. Like, this is something that, uh, you know, I, I want to get more involved in. So I, I think for me, uh, just as a person with a disability, um, you know, and, and just reaching out in general um, within ACB community and without ACB, I think that's just a natural progression for me as a person. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing more. Um, in my community, um, you know, uh, within ACB. And then also, you know, I really would like to get more involved um, with things, you know, in my general community, you know, where I live, um, who I, you know, who I want to um, be able to help, things like that. So I'm a work in progress. <laughs> I'm not finished doing anything. <laughs> and um, I think it's great that, um, you know, being able to shift and grow within yourself, um, with those that you love and those that you respect and um, your colleagues. I think that's all a, a natural part of this. And I think BPI is a natural part of that. And uh, so so that's where I'm at with, with all of this. Um, and, and I hope more people find their paths and, and, and spread their wings uh, with, with this whole growth thing. Um, you know, I'm by no means am I a young person. Um, so maybe that's part of it too. Maybe, maybe this, this whole path of you getting older and finding more um, unique and meaningful connections is what, what it's about for me. So, I um, mean, this is just, like I said, just a natural part of, of, of pursuing all of that. So. Thank you, Annie. And I'm mm -hmm. going to take it from here. Um, so today is my daughter-in-law's 30th birthday. When her and my son first got together, she was 19 and very homophobic. Little did I know. We took, a, we took them to San Francisco so Brittany could see San Francisco. And she just kept making these awful comments like, oh, I don't want to see guys kissing guys. And I just ignored it. I just ignored it. I was annoyed with her. And this just added to me being more annoyed with her because these are people that are my friends, not necessarily the people she saw holding hands. And I, I thought it was really interesting that she was more grossed out about seeing men versus women. I can't remember to this day her making any comment. And um about lesbian couples, 
And what I've learned is it's important to speak up and I will speak up even if it's just to say they're human too. They deserve love. But the really cool outcome of it is I didn't have to speak up. It showed up in her life. She has two brothers that are gay. She's accepted and loves her brothers that are gay. That her her one brother was just living with she and my son and his husband. And my son and she were the two witnesses at the courthouse for their marriage. And sometimes by not speaking up, we're not necessarily taking a proactive choice to be an ally, but it just happens in their life. And they might find out their best friend is gay or their brother's gay. And to go from watching my daughter-in-law being so grossed out 11 years ago of two men holding hands and kissing to allowing and loving both her brother-in-law and her brother who lived with them for many months before her brother-in-law just got out of the Marine Corps and they bought a home together in a different state. And, you know, sometimes the universe will provide where we don't provide. And that I just love watching her transition there. And, you know, we, we all tease her to this day. I thought you didn't like gay people, you know, and <laughs> she she gets embarrassed about it, which is wonderful, I think, because <laughs> I think all many of us, I won't say all, that's, that's an overriding statement, but many of us, on the surface, we might get shocked, you know, and, and um, we may have never seen it before, you know, baptism by fire taker to San Francisco, you know, <laughs> and um, just allow things to naturally occur. And I, I remember when she first said her other brother was gay, and then Adam, who's married to Hunter, came out and then started dating because uh, he was living with my son and my daughter-in-law at the time. And they live in a town that's filled with Marines. And um, he was dating Mar a lot of Marines. And then he found his final life partner. And it's just been beautiful to watch the evolution of my daughter-in-law's growth. So, Miss Ruth, it's your turn. That was great, Marge. I was really glad to hear it was a happy ending. I was worried there for a minute. She did grow. So my missed opportunity um, actually happened kind of recently. Once um, recently, a friend who works at my hair salon, she drove me home after I got my hair cut. And I was wearing my pride t-shirt that day. I'm wearing it now, in fact. So it's purple. It's got the word love on it. And for the letter V, there's a hand doing peace sign. And the hand is adorned in the rainbow colors of the pride flag. So just as she pulled her car into my driveway to drop me at my front door, she said, oh, by the way, nice shirt. And I responded with a quick thanks and went into the house. And then I realized what she was asking without actually asking was, is there anything you wanted to share with me? As if to say, you know, by wearing the shirt, are you coming out or just making a statement of solidarity? And I, I wish that I had thought to tell her that, you know, as an ally, we can stand on the right side of history with all the laws that are being enacted now, taking us backwards. Let's remind the world we're better than this. So it was really a missed chance there. It's also a social commentary of sorts. You know, if a friend I've known for years can't ask me straight out, pardon the pun, straight out, because she doesn't want to offend me by asking, you know, we've still got a long way to go. 
Thank you, Ms. Ruth. Would anyone else like to jump in and answer this question? On to question five. This is for myself, Vita, and Miss Ruth, I believe. Oh, I'm sorry, Debbie. Vita, Margie, and Debbie. How do you respond now when the pride lifestyle is bashed in your presence? Share an opportunity where you speak out and made a difference. I'll go first. Thank you, Vita. Well, um, this wasn't recent, but it really sticks out in my mind. Um, a number of years ago, I had a very close friend who was HIV positive, and uh, he was sick, um, and he had to be in the hospital, and uh, different things happened, and we were very, very close very close friends. And um, I remember at that time, when my family and my friends kind of found out that I was spending a lot of time with this friend and that I was visiting in the hospital and that I was, you know, just a big part of his life. Oh, my gosh, I just, you know, it was, oh, don't, you know, make sure you don't use the same toilet seat. Make sure you don't use the same bathroom. Make sure you don't drink out of the same glass. Make, you know, things like this. And it went, I was so offended and so uh, angered by that. I really, I, I was so angered. Um, so I, I, you know, I just stood up for him. I just told people, um, you don't have the right information. This is not true. This is not true. Um, read up. And I would even send them emails or send them websites. Uh, and I just, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't let it get to me. And I never told my friend. Because I guess because as I think back, um, he was, he was going through such a difficult time. And I think maybe, and I never thought of it at the time as an ally, you don't, you don't do things because you want credit from someone or you want to be recognized or you do, you do it because it comes from your heart and it's because it's what you believe. And I think, you know, that's where I was at the time. Um, and I believe I'm still there. And um, my friend is doing well. So it was a, a, it was um, the good result there. Um, yeah, so that's the story I wanted to share. Thank you, Vita. Well, this is Debbie, and I want to go back to talking about the rainbow and the rainbow connection. And I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times. If you think about where that song started on Sesame Street and Kermit the Frog singing it to children, 
and children's hearts. You know that song from South Pacific, you have to be carefully taught to hate and fear and all that stuff. They don't know about boundaries and they don't know about, well, this person does this differently from us. And we, we haven't, ta- they haven't learned that kind of fear. And so I try to tell myself a couple of things. Again, I do the one person thing or the people thing. And, but the other thing we have to understand is that sometimes bigotry, which I hate as much as anybody, it is based on fear. So sometimes I take a moment to stop, even though what I'd really like to do is take an iron skillet and bash them upside the head. What <laughs> I try to what I try to find out is how can I say something to dispel a fear and to take off the blinders that these people have, that they can't see a person, whether it's a person of a different faith, a different race, from a different country, speaking a different language, loving a person of the same sex, whatever it might be. And so I try because um, I, I can get really intense and I know that. But I try to say, okay, bigotry is, there's no defense for it and we can't excuse it, but we've got to try to understand it because maybe, just maybe, if we try, one or two people in our orbit will see things differently. I think that um, it's very interesting to me what I see a lot in this country and in this world. Everybody says we want to be an individual. But what they really mean is they want to be in a certain group and they don't want to speak outside that group because they're afraid they'll be ostracized and thrown out. I've never been that kind of person. But if we look at the spectrum of the rainbow, that includes every every part of every color. And we help people see the unity of that, what makes that. That is very important to me. And I always Like I said, you cannot excuse bad behavior. It can't go unchallenged. But if there, but if there is a way to address a fear or a misconception while still being true to the cause of equality of opportunity, equality of purpose, equality of placement in society, the whole thing, remembering that sometimes there is fear fear of something you don't know, fear of being alienated. If we can remember that, it might help all of us, me included. Annie said, I think it was she, I'm still a work in progress. I certainly am. But this whole thing, it's, it came to me several months ago. When I can, when it's possible, I have to think, is there a fear issue here? And what can I do to dispel it? What can I do to address it, to help people see things more clearly and see what really is the rainbow connection? And I think that we are all in the rainbow. And I know I certainly want to be there. And and there, there's no fear. There, there's no, no uncertainty about we're all equal and we all have the right to love as we choose. And it is, and I also tell people, that when you open your hearts to people who are, quote, different, quote, from you, 
you open yourself up to so many more wonderful friendships. I will end with sharing this. I um I was speaking with Anthony on the phone on uh, Valentine's Day, and I was remembering my husband and me, heterosexual couple, how we celebrated Valentine's Day. It was a special day for us. And I didn't even say anything to Anthony about that. But from my heart, I was telling him to have this wonderful Valentine's Day with with Gabriel, turn off the phone. And I was thinking about my husband and me. And what I was really doing was wishing Anthony and Gabriel a similar joyous experience with somebody, with the person that you love, the person that's your life partner. And when you let fear go and you open yourself up, you're just open to so many beautiful experiences. And if I don't do anything else, and I just want to make people aware of that. And that's it for me. Thank you, Debbie. I think you missed your calling. You should have been a minister. Yes, <laughs> yes. Preach. <laughs> and it's not too late. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, <clears throat> I come from a very homophobic family. And most of the upper generation is gone. But I want to relay something really funny. And then I'll tell a story about today. Um, I remember my mother telling me, I better not marry a black man. And my response is, okay, I'll marry a black woman. (laughs) (laughs) And I was a teenager at that point. It just came out of my mouth. (laughs) And excuse me, she had no idea how to respond. So we just left, let it be. (laughs) Um, One of the things I experience a lot is people bashing in a different way. And it's through jokes. It's through jokes. And as in many communities, we can tell blind jokes. And our dearest sighted friends could tell blind jokes. And it's not offensive. And Black people can tell Black jokes and call Black people names that white people can't call them. Every community, there's some kind of an in. And that's true in the LGBTQ plus community. You might hear people in that community telling gay jokes. But I experience it when heterosexual people tell gay jokes um, as as bashing. And I'm going to tell a story about my family again. My son, who has... He absolutely is not prejudiced against the LGBTQ community. As a matter of fact, when he was younger, I thought he might end up as part of that community. And it was perfectly okay with me. He had a lot of gay friends. And when we would go to parties, he would tend to be hanging out with the people who were gay, the the men who were gay at the party. And um, my son also happens to have ADHD. And so impulse control can be an issue sometimes. He's a wonderful human being who I love with all my heart. And he's an incredible Marine and an incredible husband and father. And just the other day on Valentine's Day, I called to say, speak with my two granddaughters who are nine and six and wish him a happy Valentine's and find out what happened. You know, what did they get a lot of Valentine's in school? And found out that my daughter-in-law and the two girls had gone and got haircuts. 
and I I was trying to figure out how short Audrey cut her hair. She's my nine-year-old, and because she had long hair, and she's she's coming into herself and trying to figure out what she likes. And um, I happen to choose to wear very short hair. It looks really good on me with my curls and all of that. And I said, did you cut it as short as grandma's? Now we're FaceTiming and she knows I can't see her. And my son said, no, she didn't do a dyke haircut. And I felt that to be very derogatory. And um, instead of saying, no, it's not as short as yours, he said, a dyke haircut. And I said, I don't find that funny at all. And my hair is not a dyke haircut. And there's no such thing as a dyke haircut. And (laughs) my nine-year-old says, grandma doesn't have hair like that. There's no such thing as hair like that. I just, I loved it. I mean, these girls are being raised in the LGBTQ community with with their uncles, and it's wonderful. And you know, sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta let the little ones speak up because if I can't do the job because mother and son might be opposing in arguments, just let the little one speak up because when she said it. The subject was ended. It was done. And she said it better than I could have said it, even though I tried to say it. And, you know, there is no such thing as a butch haircut, a dyke haircut. At least I don't know what it means. As a person who wears short hair um, and loves to wear short hair, otherwise it's crazy and frisbee. Frizzy, I'm sorry. Not doggy. I'm frizzy. All right. Moving on to our final question, which is for all of us. Sorry, I didn't hear you out there. Which is our final question, which is for all of us as as panelists and as allies. Just give me one second. What can we in ACB do to better embrace and better include all of the minority communities who are a part of this organization. Uh, Ms. Ruth, if I may. Please. Well, there are so many things we can do. And one thing is to tell our stories. You know, the totality of who we are. None of us is only one thing. So I'm a white, cisgender, straight woman in her 50s, but I'm also living with MS and vision loss. So I'm concerned about how we treat seniors and people with disabilities. We can remind each other that we've been on the receiving end of um, insensitive comments or disrespectful treatment because of vision loss. So try to extend empathy to groups, uh, even if you're not part of that group, and put into practice whatever version of the golden rule you might subscribe to. Um, You might even take a moment to educate someone. I had a Lyft ride the other day, and the driver told me that the previous two customers had been rude. She said one was a rude black man, and the other prior to that was a rude Indian man. She said, you know how they can be. I said, oh, no, you're talking to the wrong person. I said, they weren't rude because of their race or ethnicity. They were rude because they're rude individuals. Now you're being rude by saying such a thing. She just clammed up. So speaking up at the moment someone says something ignorant in your presence is really important. Thank you, man. 
Thank you, Miss Ruth. Who would like to take it next, please? Well, Speeda, so I, well, of course, there's always education, right? So what we're doing right now, for example, um, thank you, ACB, and thank you, BPI, uh, because we are on ACB Media. Um, we're educating, we're sharing our stories. And um, so right here, I, I feel it's, it's wonderful what we're currently doing. Um, I, I think it, um, I do, you know, um, the multicultural concerns, they do a lot of wonderful stuff. Um, I encourage people to listen in more with them as well. But I think what ACB could do is maybe have more, um, sessions at their conventions, um, which are now hybrid, uh, that are that are about equality, uh, that are about equity, uh, that are educational toward different cultures. Because I mean, we it is true that business is really important. What we do is business at at our um, you know at our conventions but I think introducing people to different cultures and different communities and hearing other people's stories uh, and and holding listening sessions is just as important as business so maybe incorporating some you know at least one speaker a year at least, uh, that talks about culture, that talks about equity, maybe focuses on different communities. And of course, even throughout the year to have more of these types of uh, sessions. So just one thought I had, thanks. Thank you, Vita. I'm gonna take it from here and then we'll go to Miss Ruth or Debbie. I think this is a beginning. I think it's a beginning and I think Having BPI is a beginning. And I think when um, BFLAG came in was a beginning. We have a long way to go. We know that we face opposition every year when it comes to some programming. But the opposition, I think, is fear. And I, one, one of the things we can do is to not react out of defensiveness, to try to understand. So last year, there was going to be a showing of the Rocky Horror Picture Show and um, some people were gonna come and drag and there was a real concern. And I tried to understand both sides of the concern. What is the fear? And I saw, I truly saw it as fear. I found some in um, BPI is being angry. And um, I don't think we'll ever get anywhere by pointing our fingers and saying, what's those um, Christian types or those conservative Christian types? Because that to me is feeling anger and hatred towards another community. 
And what I really believe is ACB is made up of blind people, blind and visually impaired people. We don't have enough blind and visually impaired people in ACB to start pointing our fingers and being uh, segregating, you know, the uh, dark skinned people from the LGBTQ, from the light skinned people. Um, we all need to come together with our common cause, which brings us together first and foremost, and that is sight loss. What can we do? I think we can be understanding. We can be more compassionate. We can express our concern as it really is a fear, a fear of if a man dresses up in a dress and fishnet stockings, he, he might be beat up by the Christian people in the in ACB, and there's zero tolerance for violence. There's zero tolerance for hatred in ACB. So I don't care if I want to come out in a man's shirt and man's shorts. If a if somebody who hates that wants to hit me, ACB needs to handle it like it handles any other thing. It is not separate. Just because a man wants to dress as a woman or a woman wants to dress as a man. It's not separate than standing there and calling someone who is of African-American descent, the N-word. It is no different. And we all must come together and accept and be tolerant. And I hate the word tolerant, but I'm saying it because, you know, walk the other way if you don't like it. Turn the other cheek if you don't like it. I'm not saying we all have to like. I will never say that in my life that we all have to like. But we have to walk away. Don't stand call names. And the board has to act like it would with any other offense in ACB. The other thing we can do is bring resolutions forth. I don't know a whole lot about literature, but I'm sure there must be magazines that are specific to the LPs or the GPs of, of the LGBTQ community. Each, each of those might have magazines, publications. They must be accessible just like we want play, Playboy accessible. Some of us might remember the big fight when they wanted to take Playboy away. And it's not because there's perverts in ACB. I, and maybe it is because there's perverts in ACB. But what I heard is many people enjoyed the articles. We should fight for a Playboy, Playgirl, um, any magazine that is specific to a community of people within ACB to have equal rights and access to that. Thank you. I don't expect to. <laughs> Okay, this is this is Debbie, and I would like to add a little parent parenthetical phrase to this ACB question, which is a very valid question. But when I say, "What can ACB do?" as a member, maybe I should be thinking, "What can I do? Who can I get to know and say?" <laughs> You know, have you thought about joining this affiliate? Have you thought about running for office? Have you thought about offering to help with something? Or is there some, you know, 
whatever it might be, whatever the individual situation calls for. Because if we <coughs> say, what can ACB do? That kind of means, well, what can they do? But I am a part of ACB. I, I too, am a member of, of several affiliates. And so I think that what we have to ask ourselves is, what can I do as an individual to reach out to another individual? Maybe, for example, there's someone in your state organization or in your local chapter, and you think they might have a lot to bring to ACB. Or maybe you think, you know, with a little mentoring, a little education in, you know, our issues and the, in the whole civil rights arena, whatever it might be. So I think that each of us have to say, what can I do? What can my local chapter do? What can we do as a state organization? And, and we need to really be open to that and, and try to be brave. And it's when I say, what can I do? It puts me on the line. And, you know, we go to this individual and maybe the individual turns us away. Maybe they don't want to. Maybe they're afraid. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't keep trying. So I am going to leave this meeting tonight in a renewed effort of asking myself, as a member of this organization, I'm just one person. But one person at a time in my orbit what can I do to bring people of so to make this organization even more diverse and to ensure that people that meet all of our diverse qualifications, no matter whether whether it's race or sexual orientation or whatever it is, that they have the opportunity to be involved, the opportunity to lead. And so that's that's how I'm that's what I'm going to take away personally from this question myself. We have um other ladies to answer this question. This is for all of us, please. This is Annie. Uh, I agree with Debbie about, you know, what can I do? And I, I spoke a little bit before about getting more involved and spreading my wings and connecting um, in the community uh, in a more meaningful way. And, um, you know, being here tonight is part of that. And I'm going to, you know, like keeping myself accountable and, 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 find a direction that um, where I can make the most change happen um, and learn from other people who have been um, part of BPI much longer than me. Um, uh, you know, I, I love to learn um, and I, you know, be mentored. Uh, so um, I'm hoping that that can happen and that um, all together we can make changes um, and keep, you know, the inspiration going um the inclusivity uh, you know because it's going in a positive direction can only mean great things so thanks thank you Annie. anyone else want to answer this question all 
right, not hearing anyone. I'll give you one last chance. If you want to answer the question and you haven't, please step forward. All right, I'm going to conclude the formal part of this program and then hand it over to Debbie because I have another meeting I need to go to. I um, really want to thank all of our panelists who gave so much of their honesty, uh, their heart, their soul to participate in this and speak their truth tonight. I um, want to thank Leah for putting together her piece of the program, which is the LGBT community side of it. And I got to tell you, this has been such a phenomenal program. I was so excited to do this and to step forward and say, I'm part of it. I'm part of this community and I want to be a part of all of ACB. And I want to conclude my comments by saying we are ACB. As Debbie said, we are ACB. Thank you. Debbie, you can take it over, please. Well, I'm going to take it over long enough to ask Anthony to unmute and um, let him um, moderate and take questions from the audience or whatever you would like to do. So, Mr. Corona, my brother, you're on. Oh, no. Well, I may have to moderate after all. Okay. What time is it? It's, um, you've got 14 minutes, and I think Anthony was kicked out earlier. I heard him get dropped off. Okay. Well, th thank you for turning it over to me. So um, I'm not a moderator, uh, but I'm going to just say, um, does anyone in the audience, either on Zoom and, and moderate hosts, I'm not taking your job away from you. I'm just opening the invitation. You all will um, let us know if anyone has questions or comments. So the time has come. If anyone on Zoom or Clubhouse, um, your the moderators will um, announce will uh, tell you what to do, and we will listen to your comments and do our best to answer any questions that you may have. So this is your this is your moment in the 14 minutes that remain. <laughs> Don't have anyone in Zoom currently. Okay. All right. Then I think um, does and if while we're still talking, if any hand pops up in either Zoom or Clubhouse, just let us know, and we'll finish the sentence or a thought, and um, allow these people to speak um, before we. No, my head was raised. Yeah, I was going to say I saw you. It's okay. Thanks. Thanks, Bill. I and Lynn, we're not, we didn't know. So it's okay. Now yeah. you have the floor. Okay. It's all good. <laughs> I just want to say, um, I always had, I was always a, 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 a friends with the gay community ever since I was like in my twenties or teens. Um, my uh, cousin, first cousin was removed as gay. I have, I had a trans um, uh, cousin too. So, you know, this has been part of, I, I've known about this for a long time and I know that my family was a little bit uncomfortable with it. And also I was, I was in a lesbian relationship in the eighties. So I've been on all sides of the issue. And I think that what we think about, and especially as a, a Jewish person um, too, um, that we have to embrace all diversity in ACB. And that includes, 
you know, the Jewish community who's been kind of a minority too, and gay and lesbian. And I've also been uh, appointed as the vice uh, chair of a diversity, equity, inclusion committee in Washington, just appointed. And I said that diversity includes GLBTQ people as well as racial and ethnic minorities. So I put that right out there. And uh, the advocacy committee agreed with me. So I hope to, um, you know, uplift the GLBTQ plus community, plus the Jewish community, plus the uh, racism and ethnic community. And we have to do that if we're going to be a more diverse community in ACB. Amen, sister. That's right. Okay. Um, if there are no more hands, I'm going to ask each, is there any closing remark that any of the panelists, and while they're doing this, while there's time, you can still raise your hand if you would like to um, make a comment. And Lynn, we appreciate so much your commitment, your passion, and this new work that you're taking on. Any panelists want to end with any comments? Well, I guess we are all talked out. So we will just end with the hope that what I had in mind for this last program in the series was that we would end on love because that is the foundation on which the ally relationship is built. And sometimes when things seem intense and harsh, and we know that there are many people who have reason to be angry. But my question has always been, how can we best make our anger work for us? What can it fuel? And if allies, we can remind angry people, yes, you have a legitimate reason for your anger, but we just want you to know that you have our love and our respect and our commitment to walk with you, to walk beside you, and to lend a hand as we can. And if we as allies can do that, I think that will make a world of difference. And I am proud to be an ally of the LGBTQ plus community and all of the groups that I find myself involved in. And I have respect and friends of, of such diversity. And I am the gainer from that. And I'm sure everyone else on this panel feels the same way. So before we end this on a very high note of remembering that love trumps everything. And I don't want, I want that verb to still keep its goodness and not be tainted by a name. Because love does, love, love brings the victory. And um, so if no one else has anything to say, does anyone? One more time? Sure, it's Vita. I will. Go, go uh, ahead, Vita. <laughs> I want to uh, just talk about something Bryn brought up about being accepted at work. And um, that, you know, we didn't talk too much about work. Um, uh, if you have the opportunity at your jobs or if you volunteer your time even, get involved in a diversity, equity, and inclusion community. Um, I'm part of that at my job. Um, and they do a lot of different type of uh, 
sessions, and then you start to invite your coworkers, and they invite their coworkers. And here we go again, we're spreading the word, spreading the word. So when you hear there's a session that, that sounds kind of of interest, whether it's BPI or maybe it's about guide dogs or maybe it's the multicultural, um, pass it on, pass all those, in, pass that information on to other people, encourage them to attend. Um, I think that's another way to spread the word and for us to all be involved. Thanks. Thank you, Vida. Anyone else? Well, I'm going to say, let's remember the love. Let's remember the possibility. Let's remember that we as individuals are ACB. And let's remember that the primary foundational core on which allyship is built is love. And let us use that love and support when it is needed, uh, because that's something we can do. And thanks to everyone who has listened on ACB Media, who's been here on the Zoom, and most of all, our wonderful panel. And for Margie and Anthony, um, let's be true to the cause. Let's keep marching together. Let's all find our place and color in the rainbow and shine gloriously. And um, we'll be back. <laughs>